This is a fresh agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work. Here is Christina Mendonca. This is a fresh agenda where we chat with innovators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. I'm Christina Mendonca. Welcome to this little spot in the digital universe. Glad to have you here for a while. It's tough to believe, but we are over 50 episodes now, which is both exciting and motivating. Looking back, we've had some great conversations with people in all kinds of industries, but I've held true that each of them is an entrepreneur, an innovator, or a thought leader, a combination of all three maybe. The download and listen numbers are going up, as well as the subscribers, that feels great, especially with so many choices out there. I love podcasts, and to know that a few of you are enjoying this one is very satisfying. So I was asked to emcee an education event a few months ago, and which I love doing, and I was to write the introductions to the various speakers, and the keynote was a futurist. And I thought, hmm, what is a futurist? sounds mysterious or like something I'd like to be. Dressed like Trinity from the Matrix, be all future But when he showed up, he was just a regular looking guy. But his presentation was anything but regular. I was riveted all 45 minutes as he talked about everything he'd learned about trends in various industries. What's coming, what's already possible, what's being worked on now. His name is Glenn Heemstra, and he's our guest today. And what I love about his take on the future is that it's wholly optimistic. I'm about ready to start a new book I got in the mail from Steven Pinker's people. Uh, Steven Pinker has written a ton of books, and the whole premise of this new book is, you know, things, well, things aren't that crappy. We hear so much negativity that it's easy to start believing that everything is going to hell. But Pinker's book talks about all the ways things are going great, how humanity is progressing well, and dare I say, better than it used to be. Heemstra talks about the future of industry the same. Things are not so bad. Our big problems like climate change, for instance, he has something very interesting to say about how he believes we're going to solve that. By the way, have you picked your theme for this year? Mine is radical relevance. I've heard from a few of you wanting to share your theme this year. Still need one? Well, things are not so crappy is available. So try that one out. Hey, if you've been to my Facebook page, the cover shot I posted is just this gorgeous picture over downtown Sacramento. You see the Tower Bridge over downtown Sacramento, and Dave from New Age Aerial gave me that picture. He took it while training one of his new pilots. So if you need drone video or still shots, you've got to reach out to New Age Aerial. They have the FAA licenses and expertise. They know the system. They can get all the permits to shoot whatever you need. Bridges, roads, dams, anything else, beauty shots. I really want to see them do like an epic wedding. That would be amazing, like at a winery or a vineyard or something. If you need aerial photography, videography, or anything, you have got to call New Age Aerial. Give them a call. Use the phrase Fresh Agenda, the name of this podcast, and Dave will take great care of you. That's New Age Aerial, 916-645-3474 or newageaerial.com. All right, let's chat about my guest, Glenn Heemstra. Glenn is an internationally respected expert on future trends, long-range planning, and creating the preferred future. An inspiring and deeply experienced voice among futurists, Glenn has advised professional business and governmental organizations for over two decades. Glenn Heemstra joins me now. Glenn, thank you so much for being here. Just um, You had a fantastic presentation when you were in town a few months ago, so I'm excited to chat with you a little bit for our, for our listeners. 
Well, thank you, Christine. It's very nice to be with you. Well, tell me, how did you become a futurist? What were you doing before you made that pivot? Well, in my my early career was in higher education, first in, uh, as an admissions recruiter, counselor, and then as a faculty member after some graduate school. But I'd had this long abiding interest in the future, starting really when I was uh, a youngster, really, uh, certainly by the time I was a high school student. And then it, it turned out that when I went to college, uh, while I was at a particular college in Spokane, Washington, they hired as as a new president uh, a person who came direct from the Apollo spacecraft program, where he was director of planning for for the Apollo program, and he got up in front of his first presentation to the to the college community and said, "I'm a futurist," and I thought, "Now that sounds interesting." <laughs> and so there was there was a, there was a bit of a road. There was about a ten year road from that moment until I really uh, started thinking of myself as a futurist. And then at that time, I was still a college professor, began doing some presentation work and consulting work on the side, as a lot of professors do. And uh, and then as as uh, as we began actually uh, the, the 1990s now a long time ago uh, I broke away from higher education and, and set up my full time career as a futurist. So when you advise and, and you counsel people in just a variety of industries, I mean they are all coming to you with deep knowledge of their industry. How do you know how to help them? Well, there there are two things. Number number one, I'm a quick study. Uh, and the internet is very valuable, so I can uh, get up to speed a little bit with with uh, their industry and, and sort of what their issues are and some of some of what they're working on, at least in terms of being able to uh, understand the language that they're speaking and so on. So I do a lot of learning. In fact, that's one of the great attractions to being a futurist is. Uh, if one wanted that as a career, uh, you are expected and, and need to continue learning all the time. Uh, so there is that. Uh, but the, the, the second and larger factor that, that enables me to help them is that I consider myself more of a process specialist than a content specialist. That is, um, I have a certain approach to thinking about the future, planning for the future, examining the long range, and so on. And I can bring that to and adapt that to, to any kind of organization, any kind of setting. And so what I, what I really bring, uh, for example, I'm working with a biotech company right now, and, what I, and, and I don't have a biology degree, but what I bring to them is a process by which a team of people can say, can ask the question, so, so what is happening in the next 10 to 20 years, and what does that mean for us in our industry and our business? And based on that, what is it, what is it that we want to do ourselves? What's our vision for our future? And I can take them through a step-by-step process to do that kind of creative thinking. Can you give us just kind of a, a rough um, uh, process that you go through with a business when they come to you? I mean, how, how do businesses set themselves up for the future? Well, the, the first thing that, that, uh, that happens is I try to persuade the, the business to think longer term than they usually do. Now, the good news is that they've sought out a futurist because they're kind of inclined to do that anyway. You know, many businesses... Uh, have a two or three year or sort of or so rolling strategic plan. Uh, that's true of a lot of medium and larger size businesses. Interestingly, small businesses have the biggest challenge with this because in a small business, people you know are wearing more than one hat and they're very busy, and it's it's actually harder uh, a lot of the time to, to plan in a small business. But step one is to get committed to looking longer term than you usually do. 
And that might mean five years, but I try, I try to encourage organizations to, to look at even a bit longer than that, more like a decade, and in some cases more. Um, in, in one case with a very large company named Boeing, uh, we looked 100 years into the future, so that was kind of unusual. So that, that's, that's the first step. And then, so then what do you do if you're going to look longer? Well, you ask, uh, in the language that, that I learned from this, this Apollo spacecraft guy, uh, what are the events and the trends and the developments that are going to be you know, likely to be happening over over the next decade or two, which whichever time horizon you're using. Uh, what are they? You know, what's going to be happening in, in science and technology, and and you know, what's how, how is the population going to change? Or is there population growth, or is it declining? Are people getting older? Are there going to be more young people? Is the population going to be more diverse, and so on? Uh, and then, having identified what some of these trends and developments are, you ask, what, what are the implications for us? What what do they mean for us? And there are some tools by by which you can do that. And what that does is give the organization a better sense, a deeper sense of the of kind of the playing field on which in which they'll be operating on this longer term horizon. And having done that, then you step back and you ask, so if that's what we think the world is going to look like, and, and of course it's not guaranteed there are lots of unpredictable things about the future, but we can get a we can get some sense of what it's going to be like. Then you ask. Uh, well, if we were, uh, you know, being the very best that we could be, if we were uh, doing the things we really want to do, sort of, you know, what, what, our, what our true heart's desire is as an organization, what would that be? What would it look like? What is our vision? Um, one of the ways I ask that question, I, I like to put this up on a board for organizations and, and put it this way. Uh, if, we, if we had no limitations and we knew that we couldn't fail, in this in this future world, what, what what would we do? What would we? How would we be organized? What would we be producing in terms of goods or services? Or um, and so and therefore, what is our vision? And then from from there, then you then you move into a little more traditional strategic planning kind of questions around. So, what is our mission? And what are some strategies that we're going to pursue? And so on. So it's a it, it's not a um, uh, all that mysterious a process, but it's one, interestingly, that, that many organizations almost never do, either because they, they think the long term is too far to look or just because they, they're busy and they have their sort of routine planning activities, uh, and uh, which are all fine, but you, you miss uh, things if you don't take that uh, step back and, and look further uh, out and with a wider angle lens than you usually do. So that, that's in a nutshell the, the kind of process uh, there are variations and, you know, some special steps and so on. Uh, but that's, that's broadly speaking, uh, what we do. As you look uh, and scan the, the various industries that you're working with, what are some of the more interesting uh, things that are coming up in the future, inter- personally, that you think are the most interesting? Well, I would say there are, to me, uh, Two that that are most interesting. One, the first of them that I'll get into is is really a response to the, to the most important issue of, of, of our time, uh, which is uh, climate change, environmental change, um, changes in weather through through global warming. Um, you know, the, the the planet is warming up. That that's that's very well confirmed. Uh, it's warming up at a faster rate than it has historically. Everybody knows that there are deep historical cycles in which the planet has warmed and cooled, but but never at the speed at which it's doing it now because of the human contribution through the burning of fossil fuels. Um, so that's that's the number one challenge. It, it is the thing that that should be sort of top of mind for 
uh, societies, governments, organizations uh, as, as we go through this next decade because as, as the most recent reports from the international panels and from our own uh, science advisory groups and, and so on say, you know, we, we, we really have, um, you know, a decade, maybe two, to really take some dramatic actions. And, and, and so the, the, the area that, that, that interests me the most uh, as, a, as a development uh, because there's all kinds of potential here. Uh, there's potential for new jobs and for new inventions and for, for growth in the economy and so on, is uh, the electrification of, of all transportation. Uh, and that means, uh, you know, automobiles and trucks, but it also means uh, ships and uh, uh, even airplanes and so on. And uh, there's just tremendous uh, development going on in that area. Everybody, of course, in California is familiar with Tesla and uh, the progress that they've made as they sort of push the industry to, to think much more about the electrification of transportation. Um, I just saw uh, um, something I was looking at this, this morning, as a matter of fact, that is suggesting that uh, 2018 might have been, historically, when we look back now, that the peak year for the sale of uh, uh, fossil fuel uh, automobiles and um, and trucks and so on around the world. That each year going forward, we'll sell fewer of those and more of uh, alternative, primarily uh, electric, uh, battery-operated uh, 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 vehicles. Uh, some some might run on hydrogen, which is just a, in another uh, another way of kind of producing electricity. But um, that, that's that's to me very very exciting. Um, I heard the director of research at NASA uh, a couple of months ago, and, and he listed this as, as one of the four most significant business opportunities of, of, of the next quarter century or so. Uh, he called it one of, one of the trillion-dollar business opportunities, the, the electrification of all transportation. Now, electric uh, vehicles know, have been around for a while, Glenn, but why now? What's been the tipping point that has allowed the, 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 it to take off? Uh, Two things. Number one, just economies of scale. As, as you as you begin to get enough uh, vehicles being produced, you know, and this this is true, of course, of, of everything we ever we have ever manufactured. As soon as you start making enough of them, they get cheaper to make. So that's number one. And number two, the, the batteries themselves are, are are getting cheaper and cheaper. Um, so uh, over over time. Uh, electric vehicles will become the cheapest kind of car to manufacture. Uh, they, they take less uh, capital investment, uh, less factory floor, floor space. They, they're, they're faster to manufacture because they have so many fewer parts uh, and so on. And then if the batteries themselves can, can be made cheaply enough, uh, they become cost competitive with fossil fuel cars. And, and, and relatively soon, over the next half dozen years or so, will probably become the, the cheapest kind of car that you, could, that you could buy. And if they have sufficient range, you know, a couple hundred miles or more, uh, for most of our transportation uses, they'll, they'll be the most attractive thing when it's time for you to buy a new car. You'll think, well, this, this time uh, I'll go ahead and buy the electric car. Mm-hmm. So one of the other things in terms of climate change that I found particularly interesting from your presentation in California a couple of months back was what climate change can do for the building industry, which was, um, I yeah. thought, very interesting. Let's talk about about that because we have a whole town just north of Sacramento that needs to be rebuilt um, after the wildfires, and wildfires are uh, becoming more and more common in California as we look at the impacts of climate change. So let's talk about building. 
Well, yes, and, and depending on how you measure it, and, and this, this is a pretty consensus kind of view, the, the built infrastructure contributes about 40% of, of greenhouse gases in, in the building of buildings and then the, the operation of those buildings, keeping them warm and cool and, and so on. So um, we're, we're at a point, and, and, I, and I'm quoting a, a, an environmental journalist who does a lot of writing about the future of climate change. His name is Alex Steffen. Uh, when I use this phrase, what, what he said is such a brilliant way of saying it. He said, you know, we, we need very rapid um, response to climate change as though it's a kind of emergency. And if you're going to do when, what that really looks like is a giant building boom. Uh, so uh, fast, effective uh, mitigation of climate change looks like a giant building boom. Mm. Uh, so that means building buildings that are uh, smarter, more environmentally uh, friendly. There, there's a certification in the building industry that's been around for a while. It's called the LEED certification, L-E-E-D, which you know sort of certifies that a building is as environmentally friendly. It's it's used um, you know sustainable materials and it's uh, energy efficient and so on as it can be. But there's there's a whole new movement. Uh, that's begun in the last half dozen years or so called the Living Building Challenge, which ratchets this up. So, for example, they say that, that every building, um, particularly larger buildings, should produce all the energy that they need. And you can do that with uh, solar roofs and, and uh, soon, you know, coming out of the research lab, solar, solar windows, that is glass, that will produce electricity as well. Uh, there is in the research lab solar paints and other kinds of, of uh, surface materials that you could put on the siding of buildings. So the idea is that the building produces all the energy it needs and perhaps even a surplus, at least at, at certain times of the day and year. Uh, that's number one. Number two, the, the building um, uh, basically is a net zero user of water. That is, it, it conserves water, recycles water, and so on. And then there are a number of other, other criteria. Um, and um, uh, with the fire that happened happened in north of Sacramento, I, I, I know that in the presentation that you heard me give, I, I, I showed a picture. I'd actually seen the picture in the Washington Post, but it was of a, of a home which was left standing in a certain part uh, of that area while everything else around it burned. And, and it was because that, that home was a newer home that had been built to the most up-to-date California fire prevention standards. Well, so you could rebuild, um, you know, using the best fire prevention standards and then add this living uh, building challenge uh, criteria, uh, which is being done uh, on relatively small multifamily uh, uh, developments here in the Seattle area, for example, as well as office buildings. Uh, and you could build new communities that are actually good for the environment uh, and mitigate climate change even while they provide housing um, and, and uh, business space for everybody. It would be interesting so that, to that's, see. That, that's the cool thing. I mean, that's, that's really quite exciting. We, we, I'll say one more thing. Yeah. We, we, we think of responding to climate change as a great sacrifice that we all have to make. And there may be some, some, some truth to that, but it's really much more about the sort of giant building boom and reinventing transportation than it is about uh, sacrificing and, and sort of cuddling up by a, a campfire and, and living like primitive people or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm thinking as you're talking about all of the potential jobs and specialties and skills and materials and manufacturing. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot there that to get excited about. 
There, there is. Uh, you know, part of that um, is tied in then, then with uh, electrifying, um, uh, re- redoing the, the electricity generation process in, in the country away from fossil fuels. You know, pr- primarily now coal. There's there's still a natural gas, coal and natural gas. But even moving away from those toward more and more solar, uh, and I believe that the state of California is is on the verge of, if they haven't yet passed legislation to uh, require new housing to uh, have have some uh, solar. Oh yes, mm-hmm. yes, that is now a law. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 if you just step back from that, already in, in the country, far more people are employed in solar and wind energy and other forms of renewable energy than are in, in the fossil fuel industry. Uh, so in terms of it being a job generator, if you imagine transitioning the, uh, the U.S. energy system and then the global energy system, let's say over a 30- or 40-year period, um, faster if we can do it, uh, I, I, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it should be a big job generator. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I noticed that, that the new green, it's called the new green, or the, let me see, the, the new green, the green new deal, the green new deal, mm-hmm. um, which some new members of Congress are, are pushing in Washington, D.C., kind of the concept of the new deal under, under Franklin Roosevelt, but applied to uh, um, environmental and issues. And they're, they're suggesting we need to do this in 12 years, you know, so it's highly, highly ambitious. Uh, that'll be hard to do. Um, but at the, the bottom line is, there will be, uh, and already are, uh, many, 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 many new jobs and more new jobs in these kinds of fields than in more traditional energy or transportation fields. Right. Okay, let's switch gears to another industry. I want to talk about technology. Now, by the time this actually airs, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas will yeah. be over. Um, but, you know, there they're talking about 8K television and flexible phones and virtual reality and then also kind of a more kind of dystopian look at deep fakes and, and some of the issues that we're going to have perhaps with that sort of thing. Yeah. What do you see trending in technology in terms of, uh, you know, we have all this great technology, but what will be usable? What will be, what will people go for first? Well, I, the, the, the most useful thing that's, that's, that's actually a feature, as I understand it, at the CES show uh, this year uh, is, is news of basically higher speed um, cell transportation called 5G. Uh, you know, most most of us are on phone systems if, with your mobile phone that are at 3G or 4G, mm-hmm. and 5 is some uh, factor of, of tens of times faster, maybe hundreds of times faster. Um, and uh, there are a couple of, uh, you know, Verizon and T-Mobile are kind of competing with each other in the U.S. to say they're going to be the first to, to roll out this, this 5G speed. Uh, but that, that'll be a process uh, in the U.S., it'll be a you know five ten year process before everybody has that. But but what it means is more ubiquitous, very high speed transportation. Or, uh, communication is what I'm saying, not transportation, but communication. Uh, meaning um, you know more video communication is possible, um, and and uh, and kinds of kinds of new services. You 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 know you mentioned virtual reality. Virtual reality is interesting. I'm a little bit of a skeptic. I was I was a co-founder of a virtual reality company back in all the way back in the 1990s, mm. uh, and and uh, that was based on technology that was com- coming out of a uh, out of a lab at the University of Washington and some other places. And and there were very primitive headsets being developed at that time, which had two little um, cathode ray tube uh, screens, one mm-hmm. for each eye. 
Um, and they're not that anymore. They're LCD screens and so on. But strangely, the, the headsets that you see now are not all that different than they were uh, 20 years ago. And, and so my huh. opinion is they're, they're, they're still too clunky uh, to, be, uh, to have widespread uh, uh, continuous consumer use. It might, it might be the kind of thing that you buy for, for your home and, and use now and then to play a game, but it's not something that, that, would, that you use all the time like we use our, our mobile phone now. Uh, the the high-speed network will enable us to have virtual reality over that high-speed network, but the question is whether we would have um, tools, uh, headsets in particular, that, that would enable us to, to really enjoy using that. But the, this high-speed communication is the number one thing. Um, virtuality is an interesting one, that, that's for sure. Um, and then rethinking social media. Um, I, I think this is going to be a major, major emphasis socially, politically, um, and, and in terms of business, because uh, the, the issue of deep fakes, which, which if you're, if the listeners haven't heard of that, they're, you know, the, the first cases are, are coming out. It's, it's no big surprise that you can uh, take very high quality video um, of uh, of somebody, uh, let's say a movie star, and uh, then take that high quality video and, and merge it with uh, with a porn star and uh, make it appear as that as though that. Um, uh, first-line Hollywood star is now uh, doing porn movies, and it's, and it's not possible to, to tell the difference, to, to say that it's really not them. Um, and, you know, imagine that with uh, with political speech and saying, well, here's somebody who was doing a, a secret meeting, you know, with some of their supporters and said the following, and there wasn't such a meeting, and they didn't actually say that, but you could produce a video that makes it appear as though as though they did. Uh, that's going to be a real issue, subject to, to legislation, and uh, and I think uh, forcing the, the companies who are involved, uh, you know, the, the big ones, the Facebooks, the Googles, and so on, to to look even harder than they are now at what they can do to uh, ferret out these these fake uh, videos that are going over their networks, and uh, and making sure that they're policed in, in some way. Uh, so that that's going to be a significant issue. One of your books, Turning uh, the Future into Revenue, What Businesses and Individuals Need to Know to Shape Their Futures. Uh, I'm curious about just individually, as all of us are making our way through this new world and yeah. and and looking at the future, looking at how we can make sure that our skills are primed and ready for whatever is, you know, coming up next in our own industries. Do you have any tips or exercises or things that we can do to make sure that we're individually ready? Yes, I do. Um, there, number one, um, just there, there's a, there's a couple of attitude things. Number one, um, be, becoming you know more comfortable with uncertainty, with rapid change. Just you know, just saying I'm I'm going to be more comfortable with that because it's it's likely to characterize what's what's going on. But most people are kind of on on a if you think of kind of a continuum of comfort with change, like on, on one end of the continuum are people who just hate change. They want everything to stay the same all the time. And then on the other end are people who love change. They want everything to change all the time. Um, well, everybody's on that continuum somewhere. And wherever you are, you probably should ratchet yourself up toward the I love change side a little bit. Um, so that that's an attitude adjustment. Um, but more uh, practically, what, what, what people can do is to um, engage every now and then in um, in a little personal vision activity, just uh, uh, asking yourself, it's you know, it's it's a year from now, or two years from now, or five years from now, if you want to think a little bit longer term, 
uh, and um, you know what what is it if, if if I had no limitations and I knew that I couldn't fail um, you know what would I want to be doing how would I want to be living um, but my my wife and I have have been around a while and we're we're uh, not yet uh, retired but uh, getting closer and closer but about five years ago or so uh, the kids were all gone you know uh, they're all past college now and uh, married and so on and so we're long past that and, and we lived in a, in a suburb of Seattle and we asked ourselves so when we're retired or in these later years you know how how do we want to live well we'd like to live in a place where we can walk more to the things that we want to engage in or, uh, you know, stores we want to go to and so on. And we'd like to have much better access to, to public transportation, which tends to be difficult in, in suburbs. And so we began about a, it turned out to be about a two-year process of scouting neighborhoods in, in, in the city of Seattle. Uh, looked at a lot of houses. I got a, got a favorite real estate agent, looked at a lot, a lot of houses, and, uh, and then uh, uh, sold a suburban house and moved into the city. Uh, still, still in a, in a standalone house, not not yet in a high rise or anything like that, but still in a standalone house. But where we're, you know, literally a five minute walk from from a bus stop that's then a ten minute ride into the city center, uh, and uh, you know, half a dozen. Well, I got three three Starbucks within fifteen minutes, uh, <laughs> ten ten minutes walk, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, so that you know, that to me, that's a very simple, practical example of. So, what what do I want my life to look like? It, at some point in the future, let's say, say three or four or five years from now, and what is the, what is a step that I could take that would make it more likely that I'm living the way that I want to in three, four, or five years, and then try to take that practical uh, step. So, but that you know, it does take some effort. Some people are, are very good at this; that they're always kind of thinking about their vision, and they might even go so far as writing down goals and so on. Uh, other people uh, kind of live more day to day. But uh, my advice is, even if you're that kind of person. Um, just stop and daydream now and then, you know, uh, get up in the morning, uh, lay, lay in bed in the morning for a half hour and just say, so it's five years from now. What, what do I imagine myself if it's, if it's going the way I want, want it to? What, what do I imagine myself uh, doing and kind of create that, that vision, that intention uh, in your mind? And, um, you know, it's, 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 very, it's the very same thing that, that a company does when it sets out to say, here's our vision for the future. Uh, it's just applying that at, at a personal level. Right. Yes. Fantastic advice. And, and very good for especially the month of January as we're all kind of looking forward, yeah. not just to the next yeah, year, but to, to the next it. five years. Yeah, uh, good, good time to do it. Yeah, I, I wrote a book once with, with, with a friend, a co-author, retired now, and, and he and his wife used to do that. We, my wife and I have, have never really done that, but he, they, they, he and his wife had a tradition that every, every January they would go to Hawaii. Uh, and one of the things that they would do while they were there, they would take out a, a very large sheet of paper, like a like a chart pad piece of paper, and they would write down their vision for the year. What are the things they want to accomplish in that year? Um, and uh, that's kind of a cool thing. That is definitely okay. Before I let you go, just um, one more thing: what are you? What are you excited that you're studying right now? What what has kind of got you jazzed for uh, the coming year? And and what industry is most exciting? You mentioned climate change and environmentally. You know, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna spend a lot a lot of time this this year um, to the extent I write at, at futurist.com uh, where people can come and, and read an occasional blog. I don't blog every day, but uh, kind of keep up with, with stuff, and then I, I link to a lot of other articles. 
Islands and so on. Uh, I, I tend to write about uh, climate change and, uh, and and especially then what, what's you know what are the success stories in terms of how we're going to to deal with this, whether it's dealing with sea level rise or whether it's this new living building challenge and building smarter, better buildings or new transportation. That's one. Uh, I, I do have this consulting client that's in, as I mentioned, in biotech, specifically in, in the decoding of the of the genome of our genetic code and, and all the implications of that. And I've studied that a little bit off and on over the years, but uh, I'm, I'm learning a lot uh, about that right now. And, and uh, potentially that, you know, that, that's quite ground, groundbreaking in terms of being able to eradicate uh, or certainly significantly limit some, some pretty common diseases and, and, and health situations that we have, which would enable us not necessarily to live all that much longer, but to live healthier longer, which would be great. Uh, for everybody, if we could do that, so that that that's uh, very in, intriguing to me. The, the other area that that, that I'm, I'm having come from uh, being mentored into being a futurist by the guy who was director of program planning for Apollo, I'm a big fan of uh, space, and so uh, there's nothing I, I love more than than watching the, the newest uh, launch of a, of a SpaceX craft. You know, this this year we'll, they'll be testing the. The new crew capsules, and I think by the end of the year, launching finally relaunching crews into space with U.S.-based uh, uh, spacecraft, and taking further steps to, to go to Mars. I'll be attending a couple conferences this spring on on how and when and why and what it's going to take to, to get us to Mars and truly become a uh, an interplanetary species. And we had if we had another hour, I, I would get into all the reasons why why we need to do that, why we should do that, why it's a great idea, why it'll be good for everybody on Earth. But the, to me, that's 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 a very exciting uh, realm to pay attention to. All right. Well, well I'm so, definitely going to have you back then because I want to hear more about that. That also fascinates me. I love all of the new pictures that are coming out from the deep space exploration, yeah, yeah. And, and that's been just so much fun to watch. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. There's just we're doing more you know, with science and space than, than we ever have, and, and it kind of gets lost in all the other kind of the bad news on on Earth. But we're we're doing incredible things as a as a human civilization in space. Excellent. Glenn Heemstra, thank you so much for your time. People can find you at futurist.com where they can read all of your um, great blogs and the several books that you have out as well, correct? Yes. They okay. can link to them there. Yes, that's, that's true. Thank you. Fantastic. Thanks so much for being here. You're welcome. You can catch more of Glenn Heemstra at his website, futurist.com. And if you liked our conversation and you love being motivated, check out our back episodes of A Fresh Agenda. Subscribe to the channel and hear from innovators and thought leaders like super sports agent Lee Steinberg or Stanford professor of creativity, Tina Selig. There's also a great back episode with neuro leadership leader, uh, Sylvia Damiano. She's fantastic too. Drop me a note. I would be curious to hear your methods for maintaining your own creativity and productivity. Productivity. You can reach me through my website, ChristinaMendonca.com. There's a contact form there. And as always, thank you to my sponsors, New Age Aerial, New Age Designs, and Sierra at Tahoe. In fact, Sierra at Tahoe has arranged for my listeners to get special pricing on a ski pass for the season. I've included a link with this podcast and in the comment section of the SoundCloud there. Find that link, click through, 
it gives the show some love and it gives you special pricing and there's still um, a long season ahead we've got great snow up there you can check out my digital newscast the short list we're giving out free passes through social media free ski passes this season so check out the short list each week it's on my youtube channel which you can subscribe to or you can find it each monday on kfbk.com and you can find me weekdays five until nine on kfbk for the kfbk morning news with uh, myself and dan mitchinson so check us out there you can get us on the iheart radio app more fun episodes of a fresh agenda on the way steven pinker is coming up as a guest as well as the co-founder of hgtv You know all those awesome shows like Flip or Flop or Windy City Rehab, Property Brothers? Yeah, that HGTV. We're going to talk to that person in an upcoming episode because she has something new she's doing that is very exciting and very innovative. So thanks for being here. This has been A Fresh Agenda. I'm Christina Mendonca. Let's stay connected. This is A Fresh Agenda. Bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work.